All right, psychology nerds, and welcome to Psychology and Stuff, the podcast out of Phoenix Studios at the University of Wisconsin Green Bay. I'm Ryan Martin, one of the hosts of Psychology and Stuff, and I'm here as always with my co-host, chair of the UW Green Bay Psychology Program, Dr. Georgina Wilson Dungeness. How's it going, G? It is going very well, despite the fact that it's still winter in Wisconsin, and it probably still will be, even though this won't come out for a couple of weeks. It's still going to be winter, so I'm feel safe saying that. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to be blunt and say I'm real tired of Wisconsin winter this year. This yep. one in particular has felt really brutal. I, I bet, though, that if listeners check the tape, I said that last year and the year before <laughs> and the year before. So maybe they're all just really brutal and I just forget uh, in the summer. So but yeah, I mean, we are we are actually recording this late because it was so windy. I had to alter my route home. And which got me stopped by a train, which feels like the only mode of transportation that's safe right now from the wind. So, but I have to admit that I thought you said you were lying because like, seriously, who says I'm going to be late because of a train? And I was like, what, like, what kind of lame excuse is that? But you know, we do have trains, I suppose. We do. I do get, I, in fact, part of the reason I actually alter my, like, I don't go that route normally is because I routinely got stopped by that train. And so, yes, so this was a risk I knew I was taking, but it seemed like a smart move. Uh, driving across town in Green Bay. It's funny that we complain about this because it's a relatively small town, right? We don't, we don't spend that much time in traffic. No, no, absolutely. But on to better and exciting things that are yes. way more exciting um, than our Wisconsin weather is that I'm very excited for our guest today. So Take it away. How about an introduction, Ryan? Yeah, our our guest today is really amazing. She is the Director of Community Engagement at House of Hope, providing emergency shelter and housing stability support to youth and families with children experiencing homelessness in the Green Bay community. She's the chair of the Brown County Homeless and Housing Coalition, a board member of the Adolescent Parenting Coalition, and a commissioner on the Brown County Planning Commission. She graduated with degrees in women's studies and film theory from The Ohio State University. It's Beth Hudick. How are you, Beth? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me today. Thank you for being here. And I'm sorry you had to listen to us complain about the weather and train <laughs> and other things. No, I mean, I'm just surprised that you didn't also throw in that uh, that same train also frequently has a boat that, uh, yep. you know, makes, you know, so it's like train then boat. Yep. So... It's a tough intersection because you've got that you've got that drawbridge essentially right after it, which mm-hmm. I can't see one of those and not think of the movie Annie, the original movie Annie. So I'm, I'm probably dating myself. Nobody knows that reference but me. Nope. Okay. Not at all. If you start singing the song tomorrow, yeah. I'm ending this podcast now and I'll do that for our listeners. So <laughs> two things are going to happen. As soon as this is done, I'm going to email both of you with a clip from Annie so that you are familiar with what I'm talking about. And then listeners, I need you to go ahead and just Google that reference uh, and you will see uh, what I'm talking about. So so Beth, I want to like start by just talking about how you got into this line of work. Um, maybe maybe tell us your uh, your life story from the Ohio State. Yeah, the Ohio yeah. State to today. Okay, from Ohio State to today. So I'm I loved college. I as you said, I majored in women's studies, and um, when then ended up double majoring in in film theory as well because my 
uh, women's studies degree was focused on the representation of women in mainstream media. So it really only made sense for me to also kind of double down with film. Um, but uh, I'm also a huge fan of just media in general. So reading and, and all of that. Um, and so I started working, uh, well, I started interning at a special collection archive library called Ohioana in Columbus, Ohio. They collected the written works of Ohio authors, artists, and musicians. And they had an incredibly huge uh, collection of ephemera from the women's suffrage movement. So it was pins and train tickets and, you know, um, flyers from speeches and all kinds of things like that. So I interned there to catalog that collection. And then when I graduated from college, this was before you could be 26 and stay on your parents' insurance. So I got dropped immediately. And uh, my boss at the library was like, hey, we'll give you insurance. Do you want to work here? And I was like, yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) So that's kind of how I got started there. I was there for about eight years. Um, And then my husband's job uh, got an opportunity to move to Green Bay. We came here and um, I was looking for a place to volunteer where I could help uh, you know, empower other women and, um, really feel connected to my community because we moved here and I didn't have family. We didn't have any friends, <laughs> it was just me and my husband and he was working and I was not. So I started volunteering here at the shelter and I absolutely loved it. Um, I was a volunteer for about two years while I was working other places. Um, and then they offered me a job. They were like, Hey, do you want to take a pay cut and work here? And I was like, yeah, I want to do that. Um, <laughs> so, um, I started here part-time and then it became full-time and, um, now it's just, it's more than full-time, right? The way that jobs tend to be. Um, so that's how I ended up here. Um, it's been really great for me because a lot of my passions outside of the work here have been able to be incorporated into the work that I do as well. So I get to do a lot of advocacy work. Um, in policy change and things like that, which is really something that I just absolutely adore and did a lot in Ohio as well. So I wonder if you could tell our listeners a little bit more like detail about the House of Hope and uh, what's the mission and um, how does it help our community and what does it offer? Yeah, so House of Hope was founded in 2000. It was founded... um, through a collaboration between several community organizations, the Adolescent Parenting Coalition, uh, the Salvation Army, St. Vincent de Paul, the Three Sisters Hospitals, and then was funded by United Way. Um, A number of nurses at the Three Sisters Hospitals in the 90s were seeing that very young women were having babies with very easily preventable birth defects like failure to thrive. And a part of the reason that these young women weren't getting any prenatal care was because they were experiencing homelessness. So House of Hope was founded to fill this gap for pregnant and parenting youth. Um, And that's where we started. We opened in a four bedroom house over on Doty Street near Webster. Uh, We were there from like September of 2000 until like mid 2001. And we had to open 10 rooms in our current building um, because the need was just so great. And that's one of those things about providing services is if you're not providing services to a specific population, you don't always know how great the need is 
because you have no way of counting how many people need it because the services don't exist yet. Um, and that's kind of been uh, at the forefront of the work that House of Hope has done for so many years. So we started working with pregnant and parenting youth. Um, now we also, um, you know, in 2019, we did some advocacy for youth. We were able to help pass a law in the state of Wisconsin that allows 17 year olds to access emergency shelter. So we do also serve 17 year olds. Um, we are one of the only emergency shelters that serve 17 year olds because there is a liability for a lot of that, but our program is so youth focused that it just makes sense. Also, we helped pass the law, like the pen is in my office that the governor signed the bill with. So like we kind of have to, right? Like if you do right. the work, you like have to. Um, <laughs> and so we're also working on some advocacy around that to increase um, additional access to services for minors experiencing homelessness and who are runaway um, so they can access mental health and, and physical health care services because currently they can't. Um, so we serve 17 to 24 year olds who are either female or identify as female um, and they can be single. And then we serve families with children. We focus on families with parents who are age 30 and under um, because really the way that brain development works is that, um, you know, there isn't fully, uh, you know, people haven't, haven't fully um, grown into their like executive function uh, when they're young. And so to have young people who aren't making the best decisions, raising children just means that there's more support that needs to be wrapped around those, mm -hmm. those people. So um, that's a big part of the reason that we focus on youth. Uh, at the end of 2020, we opened a shelter care facility. Um, and so we are licensed for zero to 17. We serve uh, either biologically female or identifying as female youth between the ages of 11 and 17 and their children of any gender. So we're one of the only places in the state of Wisconsin that minor youth can go and keep their children with them. Wow, that's so fantastic. And uh, I've noticed in your language when you're talking uh, about the people that you serve that you uh, say the term like people experiencing homelessness. And uh, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that because I think that there's likely some stigma surrounding homelessness and experiencing homelessness, especially, well, maybe not especially in young people, but in people. <laughs> yeah, um, so homelessness is not uh, a defining trait right? It's a, it's a temporary state of being, and it shouldn't be a thing that defines a person simply because something has happened that has, you know, caused an issue in their life where they can no longer be self-sufficient. Um, a majority of individuals experiencing homelessness in our community work. They go to school. They're part of this community. Um, they're children, you know, I mean, if you look at the statistics in Green Bay, Green Bay Public Schools, one in every 20 children is experiencing homelessness. And that was for, that was a pre-COVID year. So I can only even imagine what, uh, so that was like the 2018, 2019 school year. Um, and there's a, a um, Chapin Hall in Chicago. They have this uh, sort of like research um, program that they're doing called the Voices of Youth Count 
And so they did some national average estimates for like how young people are experiencing homelessness in like nationally. And they found that it didn't matter what type of community you lived in, whether it was rural, suburban or urban, but for youth ages 18 to 25, one in 10 young people will experience some form of homelessness in a 12 month period. And like the thing that's, I mean, that's awful. One in 10, that's a huge number of people. But then when we look at younger people, ages 13 to 17, one in 30, I mean, like that's one in every class. So, um, you know, I think that the media has certainly portrayed homelessness in a certain way, associated it with, uh, you know, alcohol and drug addiction, um, associated it with, you know, uh, PTSD and, and kind of being on the street and taking up space and, and not um, being a part of the community, right? And it's this very negative kind of thing. So when we remember that like, yes, mental illness is a part of homelessness, but it's also a part of like being alive, right? <laughs> um, and I think one of the reasons that, that we often associate things like drug addiction and mental health with individuals experiencing homelessness is because they don't have access to services that a traditional, uh, you know, housed individual with health insurance and who can take time off when they need to go to the doctor. You know, how many doctor's offices do you know that are open past 6 p.m.? Right. So that was a lot of issues, like all in one <laughs> thing. <laughs> And I, I want to talk more about the advocacy piece in a, in a little bit, but first I'm just, I, I got a window of this. I, I mentioned before we started recording that I, I got a tour of, of your facility last week and got to spend some time talking with you and the people you work with, which was uh, amazing and inspiring and, and really, really something. Um, but I want to, I'm hoping you can kind of paint a picture for people what life is like for someone who is at House of Hope right now? What What is their day like? What is what What types of skills are you trying to help them develop and, and things like that? Yeah. Um, so I think for anyone at House of Hope, their lives would be relatively similar to if they were in their own apartment, especially if they're working, um, because we don't have program requirements for people who are working, right? Because if you, we'd rather you be working. Um, but one of the things that we do, you know, I think I had mentioned House of Hope was founded uh, through a collaboration. And we think that collaboration is so important, mainly because if we were to provide services um, that only our clients had access to, as soon as they move out of shelter, they no longer have that network of support. So uh, we work with the Howe Community Resource Center and um with Family and Child Care Resources of Northeastern Wisconsin. They have parent educators who come in and help with parenting, um, teach classes, meet one-on-one -on -one with our clients if we need them. But then our clients then also have that connection in the community if they need resources that those organizations can provide. We bring in Golden House to talk about relationships and what positive nonviolent relationships look like um, we, uh, we work with just about everyone who's willing to work with us. I'm a little annoying to get people here. I'm sure Ryan could tell you, I did kind of bug him until he came and <laughs> got our staff, 
about anger. So, um, you know, we really just think it's so important. Like we are busy building relationships with the individuals and families who live here. Um, why would we also then try to become experts at other things when like, this is the thing we're good at and other people in the community have money to do the things that our clients need. And by bringing them in, we've already eliminated two major barriers, childcare and transportation. So we do a lot of that. We have life skills groups where we bring in, oh gosh, people from all over the community. We bring in bankers to talk about why you shouldn't get your paycheck onto a prepaid visa card, right? Why you should actually like get an account at a, a bank or a credit union. Um, we have, uh, you know, dentists come in and talk about the importance of uh, not only childhood dental health, but also the things that are insane that can happen to your body when you have a baby. Like, do you know babies can suck all of the calcium out of your teeth and you can lose your teeth? I'm sorry. Yeah. A lot of things about pregnancy and (laughs) working here that like I'm really not okay with. So (laughs) I did um, not know that. That is news for me. It's, it's, it's terrible. Um, so, you know, we really try to keep the community as involved as we can. We also do work with foundations, health and wholeness. Um, they have an onsite counseling, um, room here. Um, they still do a lot of virtual programming, but, uh, we do have some technology for our clients so that, um, they can participate in that. We work with outreach healthcare, which is a program of a new community clinic and they provide healthcare specifically for homeless individuals. And so we have an onsite clinic um, where they come once a week. And then we also have a partnership with Bellin where we have a uh, psychiatric prescriber who comes on site once a week as well. So that's a lot. We do a lot of things. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm wondering uh, the name House of Hope um, implies that in, in some way you are our are building hope. How are you building hope in our community? Um, you know, I think it, it kind of comes in, in multiple ways, right? Um, you know, number one, people love the name, right? Cause there's like six other shelters in the state called that as well. Um, or like some version of it. Um, and then you go like outside of Wisconsin, like everything's called Hope House or House of Hope. I think there's even like another Hope House in Green Bay. Um, but I think what we really do is, um, we work on empowerment. You know, we're, we're working with clients who have been, um, who are, who are at rock bottom, right. And they're super young. They're so young. They're just teenagers. They're younger than a lot of your students right at GB. And um, sometimes we'll have these young people come in and our staff are the first ones who've ever said, I think you can do this. Like, I believe in you. And like to understand, like, especially for those of you who have children, like how frequently are you telling your kids just how good they are at things? And like, um, and, and here we have young people who haven't maybe ever been told that, um, who haven't ever maybe had anyone you know, who wanted them for anything other than, you know, how much more money is this in my check? Or, you know, what can you get for me? How can I trade this? Um, And so I think that's a lot of what we do is that relationship building and 
you know, like I still have clients who I knew from, you know, when I was still a volunteer here who come back and visit me, you know, every couple of months or so. So Hmm. I think the relationship building is the biggest, the biggest part. Um, and letting people know that like our staff may change, but we're always here as an organization, you know, um, we'll always believe in you. We may, you know, hold you accountable for the things that you do and the decisions that you make, but, um, it's never going to be punitive. Hmm. So let's talk a little bit. Um, so uh, when I was reading your, your bio, right. I'm, Chair of the Brown County Homeless and Housing Coalition, board member of the Adolescent Parenting Coalition, commissioner of the Brown County Planning Commission, right? You, you said you were passionate about advocacy, and I think it shows uh, in, in that piece. Um, what are things you want listeners to know uh, about advocacy? What are Whether it's policies we need to embrace, whether it's uh, just what do you want people to know? Um. Oh gosh, there's lots of things that I want people to know. Um, I want everyone to know that um, a majority of your life, you're going to be around people who it's their job to enforce the rules. It's not their job to decide whether those rules are what's in the best interest for the people they're affecting. So you can make a change um, and, and it's not as difficult as it sounds. You know, we work a lot with Department of Children and Families and um, Child Protective Services, and their job is to interpret and enforce the laws of the state of Wisconsin. That's it. My job is to say, that's a dumb law. We should change it, right? Um, So there are a lot of things that we're working on, you know, hence like getting 17-year-olds to access emergency shelter. But I want people to know that it's totally doable and you can do it at a smaller level. You can do it at a bigger level. Um, But the thing that we always want to keep in mind when we're doing any type of advocacy or asking for any type of policy or rule change is how does this affect me and how does this affect everyone who is more vulnerable than me and doesn't have a voice in this situation? Because that is going to be the most important piece about any policy change is making sure you're looking at it from every possible viewpoint and looking and understanding and seeing who else in my community, who doesn't look like me, who doesn't experience things the way that I experience them, how are they going to be affected? Because that is so much more important than just changing a law because you're mad about something, right? So we spend a lot of time, I am lucky enough to get to spend a lot of time working with young people who, you know, especially um, in some of the advocacy work that I get to do here are extremely affected by their inability to access mental health resources or even physical resources. So if I have a 17 year old who's living in shelter, who's pregnant uh, and her parent or guardian chooses not to come to the birth, right? That 17 year old can't even get a Tylenol let alone get some type of an epidural. But as soon as she has that baby, she makes every medical decision for that child, but she can't make a single one for herself. So like some of these issues are things that we really need to fix. Right. Wow. And I I think often our students at the university say to me, I want to go into psychology because I want to help people. But 
what you just said about advocacy just shows the many ways that all of us can help people. And like, it's a very powerful statement what you say about like thinking about people who don't look like me and who may not have a voice in that situation. And how can I use my voice to be a, a voice that listens to what they have to say and tries to communicate that. And so I think that's a really powerful message for our psychology majors and, uh, and for other majors as well. Like just thinking about how we can advocate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are, there are lots of ways to help people. And, you know, I know, I know students study psychology a lot of times because they want to help people in a particular way. And I, I get that. But I think one of the things we discover is that there are lots and lots of ways to help people. That said, Twitter has made it very, very clear to me that if you don't like a law, your only recourse is to leave the country, right? I've been told that many times on Twitter. So I hate to have to break that to you, Beth. I, I know that you want to change laws, but it turns out you should just be leaving the country, I guess. I mean, that's not terrible advice. But, um, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Mostly what I'm talking about is like state laws yes. and all of the states surrounding us have so many more rights for youth hmm. than Wisconsin does. Um, so it's not really about leaving. It may be leaving the state, not the country. <laughs> right? I to, so I'm curious. And if you don't know the answer to this, I would, mm -hmm. I would totally understand. But what do you, where do you think that drives that, that Wisconsin has laws that are, are not as uh, supportive as states around it? Um, so Wisconsin has this law called the defense of infancy, wherein if you are under the age of 18, you cannot enter into any contract, right? Okay. Period. The end. Um, and I get why it was put into place. It was put into place to protect young people from getting credit cards and like getting in debt and all of that. Um, but the issue is the underlying assumption that everybody has good parents and everybody's parents know what's best for them, right? Mm -hmm. Because we have laws made by upper middle-class white people who still think Wisconsin is a rural state. Okay. So I, I hope I said that as nicely as possible. Oh yeah. And, and for the record, you don't have to say it nicely. Uh, <laughs> this, is a, this is a safe space and uh, <laughs> so, no, that is, uh, that is very, very helpful. Um, G, do you have anything as we wrap up here? I, I just wanted to highlight uh, some of the statistics that you shared. I am a statistician, so but that's <laughs> not the reason why I wanted to highlight them, is uh, that I found them really shocking. And I don't think I had ever heard them mm -hmm. before, you know, like thinking about the way you phrased it, that like one like one in 30, 13 to 17 year old is experiencing homelessness. That's one child in every classroom. When you said that, I thought, wow, that is just something that we need to make sure gets out uh, to the world. I think that it's something somewhat invisible, but it should not be. And so I'm so happy that you're here on the show today and doing the work that you're doing to make this a visible issue that we can address through advocacy and through places like the House of Hope. So thank you for your work. 
um, yeah, it doesn't really feel like work. So that's kind of, <laughs> nice. I mean, some days it does, don't get me wrong. Like it is an actual job, but we, um, no, I mean, and, and I think thinking about those numbers at times in the context of, uh, just everyday life and what it means for the people you're interacting with and what it means for the, I, I will think back to early on in the pandemic, um, when I, we reached out to our teacher checking in, who was amazing, my, my son's teacher, who was absolutely amazing from start to finish. And she shared a couple of things with us. And one of the things she told us is that she had multiple students, or these are fourth graders at the time, who were homeless. And that trying to connect with them during the pandemic was, you know, and whether, you know, some sitting on their, the couch at a friend's house, trying to take a class from their mom's cell phone. And, you know, the, the challenges that are there and, and not just for that family, but for this teacher who's navigating that it's very, very, very easy to forget all of those things when we think about the, the lives of, of the people around us. And so it's, it's good to remember that, you know, one in 10, is means there are many you know or interact with. Yeah, and I mean, I would also just sort of point out that Brown County, Wisconsin is the third largest homeless population in the state of Wisconsin. And it's not a thing we think about a lot because we think Green Bay is this small town. We have the third largest population in the state as well. Right. So, you know, at any given year, we serve more than 1,200 individuals experiencing homelessness in homeless services. Mm-hmm. And that's not including like people who aren't seeking services who are doubled up on couches or, or something like that. So this feels like a good place for maybe a little bit of a call to action. Uh, So if I could ask you, what would you want our listeners to do to help you and your work or to help people in Brown County? What would that thing be? Um, I would say education and advocacy are two of the biggest things that we can do. Um, I know a lot of people want to get involved. We're still working on building our volunteer program back up in a sort of like mid-COVID world. So that's not necessarily an option for us capacity-wise. But, you know, visit our website, houseofhopegb.org. Follow us on Facebook, House of Hope GB, Instagram. I think those are the two we have. Um, You know, we do have some videos up on YouTube. Uh, you know, just really kind of learn a little bit about what homelessness looks like in this community, but also learn about what the resources are, because you never know who's in need of something. And just a little bit of advocacy and education in front of someone could really help change their lives. That was wonderful. And uh, G, do you have any other questions before we finish up? Sorry. I do not, but I am like so inspired. I'm ready to just go to action right now. Let's go. <laughs> Full of hope. That's where the name come from, Street. That's where the name came from. <laughs> um, excellent. Well, and you, uh, any anywhere else as far as where people can find you? You mentioned the website and social media and things like that. Anything else you wanna you wanna pitch? Um, I mean, I would really just say the same thing I say to every interviewer who will let me. Um, if you or anyone you know is experiencing homelessness, please reach out. We can help. Excellent. Best way to reach out is to go to the website. To, to website, follow. give us a call. Yep. 884-6740. Okay. Excellent. That is very, very helpful. Thank you. Um, 
you can make sure to check out more about Psych and Stuff by checking out at Psych and Stuff on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We're going to share a lot about House of Hope in those places over the next uh, few weeks as well so that people can find out more about the work that Beth is doing and uh, her team there. Um, you can follow me at Anger Professor Georgina at G-E-O-R-J-E-A-N-N-A-W-D. Yes. So in what you are, Instagram, Twitter. And Facebook. Facebook. Because I'm still old, you know. That's right. That's right. (laughs) All right. You can find me in probably all the places. I'm old too, but I pretend I'm not on social media. Psychology and Stuff is a production of Phoenix Studios at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. The executive producer is Ryan Martin, and the production manager is Kate Farley. Our audio production coordinator is Bill Salick, and our graphic designer is Kimberly Vlice. Special thanks to our guest today, Beth Hudick. If you haven't already, please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. You can also head over to our website, uwgb.edu slash podcast, to check out past episodes of this and all our shows. I'm your host, Ryan Martin, and I'm here with my co-host, Georgina Wilson-Dungis. Keep being amazing.